our political commentators are with us now, Neil Jones and Bridget Morton. Kia ora kōrua. Morena. Morena. Neil is, was Chief of Staff to the Labour leader Jacinda Ardern, prior to that to Andrew Little. He is a Director of Public Affairs firm Capital. Bridget Morton's a Director with Public and Commercial Law firm Franks Ogilvie and is a former Senior Ministerial Advisor for the previous National-led Government. She's a National Party member and uh, she also volunteers during elections with the party's deputy leader, Nicola Willis. Uh, look, let's... We, we, we've had these set pieces, Ratana, Waitangi, so forth, uh, been a pretty lively start to the political year on that front. Uh, peace kind of broke out at Waitangi. There was some wonderful kōriru, no question of that. Uh, what were the most interesting sort of takeaways from a political perspective? And here's a hint... Uh, the Prime Minister finally saying National will not support that bill, the, the Treaty Principles Bill, beyond Select Committee. Was that the standout to you, Bridget? I think it was, and I think the interesting context from Waitangi itself and the commemorations up there is the fact that they were actually very peaceful, very respectful. Um, we've seen a lot more combative treaty, you know, Waitangi um, commemorations in recent years. So I think that was probably unexpected for a lot of people. I think a lot of people expected to see a fight there. So that was interesting. But I think what you saw was that, you know, David Seymour and his bill, he has gone harder on that. They launched the information campaign um, about what they actually are putting in that bill as opposed to sort of leaked cabinet papers and things. And actually, I think for them, that obviously then had to solidify and put pressure on Luxon to actually you know, come out and say, you know, it was never their intention to support it. And they're making it really clear that they will not be supporting it. After which, David Seymour came back and said, launch the uh, campaign, the, the, the website campaign, and basically said, we think we can still change his mind. So... Some perceiving that as undermining the Prime Minister's um, in some way? I think, I mean, Seymour has very little choice but to do that. I mean, it clearly was a bottom line for many of his voters. And I think for him, he has to keep pushing on that issue. And he may therefore get some concessions. It's clearly that the bill's not going to go through. Is there other areas, though, in which he can show that there is progress? And I think that's probably what he's going for. I did see the wider context around those conversations, because he uses euthanasia as the example of, you know, changing sort of hearts and minds. He does talk about that taking 14 years. Voluntary euthanasia. Yes. Voluntary euthanasia. Important distinction. Yes. (laughs) But Um, he said, to your point, it 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 took 14 years. And he he made that point himself. So I think you can probably read that in context that he knows he's not going to succeed on getting this bill through Parliament, but he wants to use this as an opportunity to what he would call educate and move the sort of needle. Your take on the politics as it affects the the ongoing political year from Waitangi? Yeah, look, I, I don't think I'd say peace broke out at Waitangi. I mean, certainly no dildos were thrown or anything like that, so that was, you know, more peaceful than previous years. But there was still this remarkable show of unity from Māori and... I think Christopher Luxon would have seen that very clearly, and I think he would have got a real warning sign that, hang on, this this is going to keep growing and building if I don't do something. I, I don't think he's out of the woods yet. I think it was good that he said it's not going to go any further. Um, Māori have no option but to keep pushing until the bill is gone because, as Seymour says, people can be persuaded. If there's a public debate, that could shift things. So I think Māori need to keep on pushing. But it might help bring the temperature down a little bit by Luxon being a bit more definitive on it not going ahead I also thought it was sort of the limits of where Luxon could go. Um, by signing, you know, if, if all these measures on Māori, and it's not just this, we've discussed in other shows, it's a series of things out to 2025 that he's agreed to on the treaty. If, you know, if this was just a national government agenda, he could just stop it all and move on. But because he's signed 
this into the very foundational agreement of the government, he's kind of trapped. And so in terms of the trap he's put himself in, I think this is the best he could possibly do. Uh, it was interesting. I'm just trying to find the words Nicole McKee, the ACT uh, MP, used uh, when she was uh, doing her kōrero. And, of course, I think she was one of those who was sung over. Um, uh, but she, she, she used words uh, to the effect of, I can't find them just quickly looking, words to the effect of, I, I hear your pain, I receive your pain. And, and, and that is interesting uh, with respect to ACT messaging. I, th- I think the ACT leader, however, will, will continue to be direct and then to uh, argue the, from his perspective, mm. logic of his of his case. But I found that quite almost conciliatory from her, a, a genuine acknowledgement of what this is causing for a lot of people. Um, I, I didn't actually hear those remarks, so it's hard to comment, but if she did, that, that's good of her. I think with how National deals with ACT, I think um, Matthew Hurden had a good column where he actually put a way forward um, which is that what David Seymour was asking for is essentially like a Bill of Rights type situation mm. where he lays out the rights of all New Zealanders to property and freedom and various things. And as we've discussed previously, that's a category error. That's not what the Treaty of Waitangi was about. That was an agreement between the Chiefs and the Crown. And so one thing that has been suggested is that perhaps National could say to David Seymour, we'll strengthen up, you know, we'll, we'll put in some, some legislation that strengthens up some of the rights of New Zealanders to the kinds of things you're concerned about. But actually it's not about the treaty and we should leave the treaty as it is. Well, I think that's kind of actually what's happening and if you look more towards the actual New Zealand First Coalition Agreement and that um, review that they want to do of it everywhere that says the treaty principles or the Treaty of Waitangi in a piece of legislation, what does that actually mean? Because that is defining those rights in a very practical sense in the application of laws and regulation. So I think that that is in essence what is sort of happening. I think it would be quite dangerous, I think, for... Uh, Seymour to be kind of put off track if yeah. I was sort of advising him or sitting in his shoes because this is clearly something that his base is very passionate about and the number one thing that they don't want to do is be seen bulldozing towards that reaction because that's exactly what happened with Labour. You know, they the sense that people felt that that was out of control on co-governance and Māori wards and all of that sort of stuff that actually what National needs to be seen is taking people with them and having that consultation you, process. You actually touched on a really interesting dynamic here which is that ACT doesn't have any interest in Compromising, you know, act, and if we look at the Curia poll, I think we're going to discuss we'll later. Acts yeah. um, up five percent. I mean, they've done well out of this issue. There is a probably about twenty to twenty five percent of the population who, for whom the treaty is an important issue, they've been whipped up on this, and that's what they care it's about. It's not the treaty, though. Remember, mm. it's the treaty principles. It's sure, the interpretation. Sure. I'm, and, I'm or, trying, or, to, trying to do I'm shorthand just, on the radio. Okay. But, but yeah. Sort of broader issues around the treaty. Mm-hmm. The interpretation the, yeah. by by courts and in, in tribunals since the 80s in particular. And so I think he is looking at that voter segment and he mm. wants to corner as many as he can. He sees a lot of people who voted for New Zealand first and some who voted for National who he can scoop up. And so I think Seymour has every incentive to keep pushing on this as hard as he can. Let's just look at that poll. My first thought is how volatile and it's not surprising at this point in the electoral cycle how volatile they are. I'm sure there was a poll last year, Bridget, just remind me where New Zealand First actually went ahead of ACT for a while. So yeah. ACT had come back a long way but has made a strong recovery way stronger than its election result in this Courier poll. Um, Green's down too and interestingly not at the benefit of, of, of Labour. Again, one poll at a random time. But what what did you take out of it? Yeah, I think it probably indicates that there's a lot more shifting of votes than what you see because obviously those Greens votes had to go somewhere and I doubt that they've jumped over um, to ACT. And just for some context, the two major shifts in that poll were that ACT went up almost 6 uh, percentage points and Greens went down almost 5 percentage points. So quite considerable for minor parties. And I think for ACT, obviously, as Neil uh, 
talked on, they have controlled a lot of that narrative that their base will be talking to. There is a section of the national voters that would, of course, be very supportive of the strong language around Crown Iwi issues. I think for the Greens, though, this is problematic. They're, at the moment, you know, going into choosing their new leader. I think there definitely would have been have lots of votes there from people concerned Was about this James Shaw. after his, he'd announced his resignation, this poll? I'm I, just trying to find the dates oh, of good it. Good question, but it definitely was after the sort of handling of um, Goal Res yeah. issue and how that so was. So they had I think, some quite, bad headlines. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, and I think for them, obviously, none of those headlines anything to do with the environment or climate change or even really the socialist kind of issues. So for them, it, it's taken them quite off-brand and off-narrative. Yeah, look, I, I agree that, as I said, ACT, ACT obviously benefited from the focus on uh, treaty-related issues. Um, the Greens, the Goros Garamund story, regardless of where you sit in it, it's just not a good thing for a party to have to be talking about. And possibly if, if the James Shaw thing fit in the time period, um, that may have influenced it as well. I don't think the Greens should panic. They do bump up and down. Um, they've got a leadership uh, race coming. They'll probably have Chloe Swarbrick as, as their co-leader. They'll probably get a bit of good attention out of that. Um, I think for Labour, they probably would have hoped for a better outcome, given the bad headlines the government has had. I I wouldn't panic at this stage. I think it's a little bit early for buyer's remorse. I think people aren't really paying attention to Labour, um, and they're not going to be for a while. And I think for a period to come, um, Labour's going to find themselves largely irrelevant, and the best they can do is just continue to chip away at the government, um, build narratives that undermine the government and not worry too much that the polls are going to lag pretty low for a while. But isn't the problem, though, for Labour, thinking about you know what they do now, is that it's really unclear what their narrative is. I think they're somewhat wedged on the current iwi issues because of the fact that they know a lot of that swing vote in the middle um, doesn't want sort of the co-governance and all... Not their priority issue, but something that they're not necessarily comfortable with. They haven't seen um, from Labour last year about really how they're going to tackle the cost of living, which we know is still the number one issue. So when you talk about them having a narrative, what is that narrative? So I think for Labour right now, the challenge they've got as a government that's just been put into opposition is you can't say, would you look at the state of the health system and cost of living? Because, you know, there's a very easy to answer that. Well, you guys are in charge. So what, what you can do is you can focus on things that the government has said it will do that it doesn't do. You can focus on things that the government's doing that it perhaps didn't campaign on that explicitly, like smoke the smoking stuff, um, like some of the culture war issues such as around the treaty. You can say, look, isn't this messy and divisive? Um, but I, I think, you know, honestly, I, I, th- I think right now, um, people people give the government the benefit of the doubt. Most people are pretty fair. That's why very few governments are out after one term. And so Labour needs to go away and do the big picture thinking. I mean, no one's going to re-elect Labour into government until they've done that thinking and they've come back with something fresh and new. So go away and do that thinking. Keep on chipping away. But I don't think it, they need to stress that they're not polling at 40% right now. Uh, it was the 30th of January that James Shaw resigned. This poll was taken the first week of February. So, you know, again, that is potentially a, a knee-jerk or a visceral reaction uh, to those who may... Um, and again, they may not even be green voters. Those who uh, obviously saw that as a as a negative for the party. Back to Labour, though, it's got some pretty fundamental things to decide, hasn't it? Um, not just about the tax issues, but perhaps in some ways represented by the tax issues. It has clearly bled support to the Greens uh, and potentially to to Party Māori. So. When and how? What's the process? You've seen this up close and they'll probably bring some PTSD back from earlier times. (laughs) But what is the process? Uh, It's kind of a twin-track process. So one of them is there is an internal party policy process where the party has people who are elected to a policy council. They have debates and remits and all that kind of thing. 
But also the, there is within the caucus they have some leeway to be able to say where is New Zealand today and what's the policy mix we need to do to get re-elected. Um, sometimes it's like it's it's as a leader focuses towards an election. Sometimes the change of leader leads to a change of approach. Um, it's kind of multifaceted, so there's no simple answer. But clearly, things Labor has to think about are things like tax, things like uh, you know their their, their rec- the, the public's perceptions of their record on crime. Um, I think delivery is a major one. I a think that's of, going to be something that, that that does sort of yes, it will. A lot of the some of the comments I've seen of late, well, that actually speaks to this as well is is the blue so-called blue collar vote. Uh, is no longer what it was for Labour. Um, and often these days you're talking about tradies and, and self-employed business people, for mm. example. I think that train left the station some years ago now. But surely a key question is, who is our voter? Yeah. Um, and that's part of what you need to do when you go go back into opposition. I think, you know, low-income voters do tend to vote more towards Labour than other parties. That That's still the case. Um, I think they've lost a fair bit with ethnic communities. I think we saw that in Auckland, particularly. Um, Auckland is an issue for Labour, um, and then there is Auckland's an issue. They've got a big problem. Yeah, and, and, and then there's the, the broader issue around what they do about sort of middle class liberal voters who are sort of shifting greenwards. How much can they get them back? How much of a focus should there's that be? There's a perception also that they became, and their membership suggests this, a kind of Wellington political class. I think one of Labour's problems is they and I, I won't make any friends saying this, but I think sometimes Labour speaks and looks like bureaucracy. And I think Labour has to um, get, I think, more in touch as you need to with where people are today and speak the language of normal people and issues normal people talk about. Because I think what happened in government and what often happens in government is you, you live in the world of official briefings and papers and technocracy and you start talking like that and thinking like that. And I think they need to be a little bit more populist with a small p and get back in touch with where people are. The other issue for them, of course, is you are in opposition and opportunities will present, and it's quite hard to come out from under your blankie sometimes and get going quickly enough. Aisha Verrill, to her credit, was all over the smoke-free stuff straight away. Uh, But let's have a look at one of the changes that sort of came through pretty quietly, some of the RMA moves already announced by the new government. You know, how much opportunity does that offer Labour? I think it provides opportunities but also risks for Labour, which is we we all recognise that in this country, you know, everyone complains about it. Nothing can get built. It takes too long. It costs too much. Um, it takes 10 years to build anything. Um, you know, I think of the Wellington Light Rail that was supposed to go past my house that I've mentioned before, which wasn't going to be built until I was 60, and I'm currently just over 40. So, you know, we all know this is a problem. Um, what the government's doing, if it does speed up consenting, um, that could be a positive thing, and I think Labor is in danger in opposing it, um, of looking like they're against things being built faster, which, given the criticisms of Labor and government, is quite a dangerous place to be. They had I, done some of this under pandemic conditions anyway, hadn't they? Yeah, although there's a, there's a bit less ministerial directive right. under Labor. I, I'll just say that there is some risk, I think, for the government in it, and some opportunities for Labor, which is that by having more ministerial direction and referral power, I think you do make ministers more p- politically accountable for unpopular decisions. Um, there's less process you can hide behind. And the second thing is I think it does risk allegations of corruption um, or untoward decision-making if ministers who make decisions on behalf of companies have ties to those companies anyway. 
Yeah, I think the risk also for Labour, which is touching on sort of Neil's point about Labour being a bit captured by the sort of bureaucratic language or particular sort of interest groups, is at the moment what you've got is a whole sort of country that goes, yes, we need stuff moving, I want roads built, I need you know more production in my regions. And you've got a whole bunch of environmental groups who have come out and said that this is Armageddon. And I think the risk for Labour is picking up too much on that sort of destructionist language and using that as a vehicle for them to um, oppose you know, some of these projects, they're going to have to be really careful, I think, on what they particularly oppose and what they don't, thinking really carefully about what the benefits are and perhaps letting some things go through that aren't perfect because actually the country just wants to move forward and get past this non-delivery narrative. I think if I was writing Labour's position, I would say, look, we're open to this as a process. Um, but we are concerned about how it's going to be delivered. We have concerns about the environment and we have concerns about um, you know, conflicts of interest and we're going to be watching that closely. And then when the government does make errors, you can pounce on that, but you're not able to be painted as being against development going faster. Another example of this where a government can be sort of setting itself up for trouble down the track is perhaps the fuel tax move in Auckland. And it feels like, well, it is an immediate relief to the pocket uh, of, of Auckland commuters. Simon Wilson wondering how long that will last before, whoopsie, the prices go up again anyway. Um, but, you know, still there is a funding gap on major projects down the road, Bridget. At the moment, though, are you just wanting whatever wins you can get, and particularly if you're national and you've had your smaller parties running the headlines for the past two or three months? Well, I think you just got to concentrate on the fact that it was a cost-of-living election. This is a very clear cost-of-living measure that is very clearly going to, you know, decrease costs for some people in Auckland. It, at least in the short term. Well, no, and I yeah. think this is the problem, though, is that I think Wayne Brown, um, the mayor, has you know got himself into quite a tricky position. His narrative last week was not particularly constructive or useful. You know, he's saying, "Well, I'm not going to put rates up, but also this is my city, not yours, so you can't have any input into terms of what infrastructure is getting built." Not particularly constructive. And then I think he's also got this problem that he's spending a lot of his time talking about how Auckland Transport can't deliver anything efficiently but wants more money to give to them to deliver more projects. It's He's kind of got himself twisted up in circles and I think he's the person that actually is the biggest loser out of this conversation because he's kind of got nowhere to go. I think for um, National, I mean, clearly they're going to have to pick some winners in the infrastructure space in Auckland, and it's going to be how they sell that to get themselves actually um, that this is a positive thing, not just on cost of living, but also on making sure that that, that city keeps moving. I think, look, I think the fuel tax, um, it, it was clearly signalled by National in the election. It's something that is clearly cost of living. And, you know, I compare it to, um, going back to my thing about Labour and some of the ways they got themselves tied up with sort of technocratic arguments, Labour found itself going to the last election, having just put up the fuel tax and promising another fuel tax. So the politics are obvious. It's part of why National's in government. But it does go back to that to that question, which is National always wants to avoid the, uh, the, the, the discussion of if you cut a tax, how do you then fill the gap? And Wayne Brown does make the point he's $1.2 billion short over four years now. That's going to have to be made up somehow. Um, and the government's not going to fund it. So either there's going to be charges elsewhere, so you're going to sort of, you know, Rob Peter to pay Paul, you're going to have congestion charging instead of a fuel tax, or you're just going to have less investment in Auckland's um, transport infrastructure, which I think anyone who drives in Auckland or tries to get a bus in Auckland knows is in serious need of investment. So I think it does store up some future problems. Um, 
But as is often the case with national, you get the sugar hit of the popular Quick announcement, wins. and maybe in five years you start seeing there's no infrastructure. We threw, as we said, a lot of those set-piece starts to the political year, and now the, the Parliament is back, but uh, probably about to start to ramp up. What are, you, what are your eyes on for the next sort of few weeks or so as looming issues? Well, I think National has got a really big delivery um, issue ahead of them. They've got four, it's a four-week sitting block, which is seen as sort of a marathon sort of sitting block, and the end of that sitting block hits almost directly on their 100 days are up, and that's always a big political sort of headline in terms of them delivering in that time frame. The difficulty with a four-week sitting block is how you manage stuff through the House. You've got to have legislation ready, you've got to fill the time, you don't want to be seen as wasting Parliament's time, you've got to keep those select committees busy... So I think there's going to it's going to be quite the marathon and it's going to be quite a lot of work, I think, for everyone um, in that building to actually get through the rest of their programme. They've kind of got those, they've done the easy things as such, you know, the fuel tax, getting rid of the prison target. It's the legislation, that fast track legislation, for instance, has to be um, introduced before the end of this four weeks. Yeah, I think, as Bridget says... Um 100-day plan, they've got to finish delivering that. And, and, and I, do, I do wonder if they're going to have enough legislation. Um, there was a post-cab, I think it was this Monday or last Monday, I forget where we are now, where their big announcement was we've scrapped a t- prison reduction target that no longer exists. And that was their entire Monday announcement. And I think I did get, I did get the sense that maybe they're scrambling around for things to announce. So they're going to have to fill that four-week sitting block um, or it's going to be quite embarrassing. Um, that one, I think that cabinet one, they also the section twenty seven reports as well. So they had a bit of a, a tough on crime narrative, which is obviously just a we've political opportunity. We've, we've had a lot of cancelling of things. I think Neil's point is, once the things have been cancelled or undone or, or, yeah, or um, and revoked, what, and what I hear a lot of in my own world is people saying, "We know what they're against, but what are okay. they going to do?" Let's see. Thank you very much. Thanks also, listeners. Some of you uh, pointing out uh, the uh, poll that we're, talk- we're referring to. Uh, as the Taxpayers' Union Courier poll. And yes, of course, they have their own particular backers. I think uh, Courier's still doing nationals polling, is it? It has been in the past anyway. They're a reputable polling firm, though. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, But thank you always for alerting us. We should tell you where those polls come from, as well as the very obvious, which is that it is one poll in a very strange season.